You gotta look at the guy next to you. Look into his eyes. Now I think you're gonna see a guy who will go that inch. You're gonna see a guy who will sacrifice himself for this team because he knows when it comes down to it, you're gonna do the same for him. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Tonight. Session. Welcome to Film Session, WFUV's weekly roundtable about movies that happen to have sports in them. I'm your host, Chris Carino, and someone hit the projector. Welcome to the first iteration of Film Session. I am pleased, joyful, elated, ecstatic to be in the studio today uh, in my in this specific room with uh, David Tominelli and Will Grant. Uh, they've been absolutely fantastic in this process. Uh, one of the most uh, biggest blessings I've ever had in my entire life is really just throughout my journey so far, I've really just surrounded myself with people that are super supportive, uh, that really buy into me creatively and buy into what I want to do and want to be a part of it. And uh, the two guys I'm doing this show with are um, the epitome of that. And uh, also including maybe even more, our uh, guy in the back on the tables, Andrew back there. Uh, he's our producer. He's going to have a bit of a on-air role on here a little more than he usually does because most of the podcasts you probably listen to that are FUV podcast by F him as the producer. Uh, he's Mr. MMA in WFUV. He's absolutely the pioneer in the in mixed martial arts world at this radio station specifically. And uh, Will Grant, obviously Storm the Court host, uh, one of the best, critically acclaimed. And uh, David Tominelli making his first appearance even in the radio station. He is fresh on his WFUV debut. How you feeling, Dave? I'm feeling good. Chris finally dragged me down to the radio st- station, finally wore me down. It's cool. It's pretty surreal. It's weird being like on air. It's crazy. Wild, wild, it wild. Is, it's wild. And uh, what better than Bullies of Baltimore to start off with? Something fresh. We're not going to go for an oldie. We're going to go for something that came out like a week ago. We're going to go out for the most fresh thing that's on the market for us and in our pool of things we can talk about that really match the aesthetic of this podcast. And Bullies of Baltimore is an excellent start. How are we feeling, Will? Not feeling too bad. Almost caught you there. But uh, yeah, no, I'm excited. Um, Tom and Ellie's first time in the studio. Uh, got the coolest sweatshirt on I've ever seen. Co- just came back from work. Um, had to squeeze in this documentary, but I'm very glad that I watched it. And I'm very happy to share my take about it. Yeah, it seemed like uh, Christopher Nolan came a little early with his new movie because it was almost a secret what David Tominelli's thoughts were with this with this uh, film in general. He was very under wraps about it all, was excited to talk about it on the pod, and didn't want to leave anything for off air. So I'm going to let you rip into it, Dave, and just give me some initial thoughts about how you felt about the doc. All right, well, first of all, I mean, listen, the story is an absolutely incredible story. It's a very cool and uh, inspiring story with all of... You know, it really was the bullies of Baltimore, and I think it's something that we'll never really see again. A defense, you know, you, may, you maybe see, the, say, the Legion of Boom, but, you know, the point is it comes along once every 20 years. And so it's really cool that, you know, they got to uh, document this, and I think it's a story that needed to be told. But, you know, listen, the overall feel for this movie, I think it was a little bit messy. 
a little bit all over the place. Um, and, you know, that could be a good thing. But for this type of storytelling and for, you know, I always say to myself, you know, what story does the director want to make? What does he want to tell? What is what you know, what is, what am I supposed to walk away from the movie, movie from? And I didn't really get that sense early on. Um, you know, a perfect example of this is when, you know, they're introducing each each character of the defense and, you know, they're bringing them out. And, you know, they're cutting in between and out of, you know, they're jumping around too much. They're making too many cuts. They're not living in the moment. And um, I felt like that was a kind of a, a theme throughout the, the doc of jumping all over the place. You know, why is this important? Tell me. They didn't tell us. Into, I, I would like to preface, I probably should have prefaced it before David talked, that Dave's going to be, you know, really heavy into our film logistics here and kind of how the movie is made. And Word. I don't want to call you pretentious because I don't think no, you I mean, are. Listen. But I think that if we need a pretentious comment to be made about a, a film, I think you'll be there to make it. I don't think we'll really have to worry. Listen, I'll deal with the pretentious comments all I want. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of pretentious, the, the quite, li- quite literally the opposite of that, Will Grant, how did you feel about this? Initial thoughts of the, of the doc. I uh, I could see where you're coming from, David. It was very, you know, the, the way that they told the story was not not linear. It was linear, but it was just a little sporadic at times. But I think that that kind of embodies what that team was like. I mean, when you get a team that can come away with a win 11-0 and have an offense that's just so poor they were talking about, it's like, what kind of, you don't really see this stuff anymore. I, I kind of take it as, if you were to look at the Chiefs this year, and, you know, they're not this year specifically, but in the past, there's just been this Chiefs team with Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, obviously Tyreek Hill left, uh, McCole Hardman, all those guys. And then you got a defense that's kind of like the entire issue. So I kind of liken them to the Chiefs a bit, but obviously switching the offense and defense. But in terms of the film, I thought that it was very, very straightforward. I don't really like when these, you know, 30 for 30s kind of run with seven episodes because after the third, sometimes you're just like, eh. You know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of out of this. I'm gas, but I, I kind of like the fact that it was sporadic, but also it's a bit confusing. They did skip a few games. They didn't really tell their record throughout every single game. It wasn't like clear, highlighted graphics of that, which kind of confused me a little bit. But I kind of like the style of how the uh, director was going. Yeah, I think that's interesting. That's an interesting point, especially in a football documentary. I feel like you should, and if it's about a specific season. I feel like each game should be documented because it's only mm-hmm. 16, and I feel like that's really important. That was one of my notes I made that I was one of the real positives of this documentary is that it's so hard to capture the kind of like spirit and image of 52 guys it's hard to kind of have an identity as a football team because there's just so many of them Mm -hmm. and I felt like that identity was just more than obvious throughout this and I think that was really impressive Um, for me again also I it felt you could feel the love that the city of Baltimore has for this team just seeping through this documentary at the seams and you could really feel that the love and that comes with the crowd too that's why I thought I really liked the whole friends reunion kind of spoof thing they did with the crowd I thought the crowd really brings that Baltimore vibe to it that is kind of needed because of how much they kind of discuss how Baltimore kind of created the identity for this football club but a lot of things it, it feel like it felt like an occasion it felt like the official celebration of this team um, it felt like it, it felt really 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 on brand for everything that this team had kind of symbolized and guys like Tony Saragusa and Ray Lewis and Shannon Sharp they're such big characters that it almost feels like they're 
personalities are matched by how big the documentary is. And Tony Saragusa kind of almost can get immortalized, can kind of get immortalized through this documentary, at least in a personality way, because um, he kind of passed away a few months after it was done. So almost kind of getting that film and, you know, that point in his life where he seems so happy as he talks about it in the doc, kind of getting that to be immortalized, I think was super important. Um, There's a part of that too, where it's like they're going for this entire goal of setting up this whole seminar, getting all these clips from back then and then throwing the monkey wrench in the entire story that this dude, Tony Saragusa, passed away about, what was it, six months before it got released? I yeah. mean, it's very hard as a director to deal with that and pivot on an entirely different kind of sad note. So, yeah. I, I, you know, you got to give the, the director some credit there because a monkey wrench like that is very hard. I, yeah, exactly. I, I, I hated that they brought it up in the beginning. I hated it. Interesting. It, interesting. The end. I didn't and like. The, the I didn't end. like how they closed it at the end. I. You know what they the funny thing it. is. You know, it's I, hard. In the beginning, I was like, because obviously, I, I watched the previous Hard Knocks with mm-hmm. him in it, and I I loved Goose as he's called, rest in peace. And I was like, <laughs> I was th- saying to myself, I was like, I wonder how they're gonna approach this because he's such a lovable, larger than life guy, literally right. and figuratively. And I was like, um, how are they gonna do this? And to open with it, I don't think people are able to fall in love with him for the person he was. And then when you lose him in the end, you're like, oh my God, I lost somebody that I knew. Instead of like, it, it feels like it's he's not in the present anymore. He was something of the past. Goose, I feel like you need to be able to, uh, he it, with his persona, he needs to be able to like live on himself. You heard him in the end. I want my life to be a celebration. Why are you bringing it up in the beginning? And so right. it's kind of that thing. And again, it's a very difficult thing to deal with, but I feel like it's kind of director, especially in docs, it's 101 to to say hey these are the people and we're not going to tell you what happened to them or exactly like you know maybe a little bit of the right the fumbles that they had throughout their life um so it's interesting that he started with that i you know i would love to ask him the question of why he did that uh but you it's know. interesting the film crew was at the funeral as well that's an interesting but i agree with you i feel like it almost creates a, a somber ambiance if it's kind of put in the beginning mm-hmm. and i feel like um of course you have to get that word in there um <laughs> but i think at the end kind of giving him a moment of silence a 10 second silence and kind of just a graphic over the screen i think would have definitely helped out and kind of been leaning toward how you're kind of talking about how you want would have structured this if you were directing it um obviously uh, we have a lot going on here. This is going to be our first episode, but uh, Dave has to, you know, make a quick escape here because school is the number one thing for him. So we're going to explain the grading system. We're going to do a grading system for each of our uh, movies or documentaries that we're doing. Uh, each one will be put on the scoreboard, and then we'll kind of have something to look at as we uh, get through uh, more and more of this podcast. So the grading system will start. Uh, a is the setting in which you watch the film, 1 to 10. Uh, B is how important it is to the culture of sports, the specific film. Uh, C is how technically well it was made. D is boring to excitement me- uh, spectrum. And E is does it slap spectrum. So uh, we'll take you through it here, Dave, really quick. We'll do a little more time with me and Will here. We'll kind of dive into it too a little more. But since you got to make quick getaway here, let's have you go through the system. So A, the setting in which you watch the film, 1 to 10. Yeah, I apologize for the quick rapid fire. But the setting in which I watch this, I'd give it a solid 6. I mean, it wasn't anything crazy. It wasn't anything horrible. But at the same time, I understand that, you know, Settings is setting is only, you know, so much of what your watching experience is. Six. 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 Okay, so B, how important is it to the culture of sports? When you, And it's going to be hard with this one because it was just released, and I feel like, but I, it's more of a feel. I, I want it to be more of a feel yeah. kind of spectrum. This here. was, the, this team was the Legion of Boom before the Legion of Boom. Uh, this was Legion of Boom without the internet. If it had the internet, you even, they right. talked about it yeah. in the doc. I agree. This would have been the Legion of Boom. 
So in in terms of cultural significance, I don't think it was that crazy because of the lack of the internet. I'd give it a four. And they give some they give some Memphis Grizzly vibes where it's like nobody really likes them and they just play really hard. All right, see how technically well it was made, one to ten. You already kind of dive into this one a little bit. I know this isn't going to be flattering. Three. I can't. You know, it, it was all over the place. As far you know, when you're a film nerd like me, you pay attention to cuts. You pay attention to when the music's playing. I just didn't really like where they went with it. It fell all over the place. I didn't feel like it was well made. So three for me on that front. Three for you on that one. And then Boy New Exciting Spectrum, one out of ten. I thought it was pretty exciting. I'd give it a, a six again. I mean, it wasn't anything, again, it wasn't anything like I didn't get goosebumps throughout the film. I wasn't like, oh my God, I didn't get attached to any of the characters especially. But at the same time, you know, it's a difficult thing. Like you said, it's it's difficult to capture 52 people. Uh, you know, in an hour 45 or an hour 40, whatever it was. So I give it a six on that front. And it feels massive. Yeah, uh, it does. E, does it slap Spectrum out of 10? Listen. This encounters, this is everything pretty much. Uh, you know, overall, I'd give it a, you know, I'm, I'm going to go decimals here. I'd give it a 6.3. 6.3. And then what did you have as the Boring to Exciting Spectrum? Boring to Exciting se- Spectrum, I'd give it, you know, I believe it was a, it was a, Six? I believe I give six. It six. So basically how we're going to do this, and David's going to exit now. We thank him so much yeah, for being here. Thank you, guys. This was a lot of fun. Um, we'll obviously, obviously, when you're seeing this on podcast platforms, the next episode will also be up, so you'll get more Tom and Ellie next week. Um, but for now, uh, we want to thank him for being here, and obviously with the grading system, we're going to average out all three of our um, total scores as I kind of add them up as oh, we're talking here, and then we'll kind of have a scoreboard for it. So. David's going to exit here now. We thank him for his time. And we can continue here with me and Will here. So as I kind of went through here, I kind of felt like the ambiance, as I said before, and the, the feel of this documentary felt like Bad Boys 30 for 30 mixed with the Friends reunion. That's kind of where I thought if, the, if those two kind of had a baby and <laughs> it was a documentary and it was about the, two, the 1999-2000 ra- uh, Ravens, this is what it is. Huh. Yeah, see, I didn't... I, 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 I can totally see that, but I, I kind of got... I got a little bit of the Reggie Miller kind of vibe. I think I scared our producer Andrew a little bit. He oh. said that was he said that was a little bit of a scary. Oh. <laughs> that was a little that was a little too accurate for me, which I kind of agree. Okay, so Bad Boys, yes, I, I can see that, but they they were rough. Um, they did play good defense, and they didn't let people walk all over them. I guess that is a really good, uh, very good uh, reaction. But I think that Survive in Advance with NC State. Wolfpack, uh, mm-hmm. Jim Valvano obviously passing away, Jimmy Classic. V as we know. Classic. Um, I think that that could play a role in there a little bit too because because it kind of centered around Saragusa and then obviously surviving events with Jim Valvano's legacy. Um, and I, I think Bad Boys is definitely a good um, good comparison there. A phantom main character, if mm-hmm. you could say, kind of a guy who is the main. He kind of runs everything. He's the heart of it, but he's no longer there anymore. And it kind of it creates for a weird kind of it, it, it kind of creates for a weird kind of space that they live in. And I feel like that kind of tension that you are describing from Survive in Advance for. Uh, coach not being there I think kind of is matched in this one with Saragusa and the bad boys kind of comparison I have there is that they also filmed their interviews like in front of an elevator like it's almost shot for shot the exactly picture the same mm, their uh, player exactly. interviews yeah. and it was done in like an abandoned warehouse right. like it looks very similar and I think that was kind of they kind of saw the styles kind of matched on the teams and they kind of wanted to put those together um one thing I must say is yeah the fact that it was Saragusa that passed away, I think that anybody, any of these guys on the on the Ravens that 
would have passed away, it would have been centered around them, and I don't think that would have been the case if Valvano hadn't have passed and it would have been Derek Wittenberg or Lorenzo mm-hmm. Charles. I think Jim Valvano was that guy. Yeah. And I think they, you know, you had to because it was so short after that Saragusa passed away, but if it was Shannon Sharp, if it was Ray Lewis, if it was that coach that brought so much energy, I think it, it could have been any of them if they had passed away. It would have been the same kind of, you know, vibe. But, you know, that's just me saying that in retrospect. Yeah, it's interesting. You're correct because I feel like almost from uh, from the creation kind of standpoint, it was kind of supposed to be surrounded Ray. Because Ray, at like, exactly. like when it, in the beginning, especially at the, the Friends reunion, I call it, where it was the reunion they had in front of the crowd, he gets brought up from the ground mm-hmm. holding the yep. trophy. Like, it's, I think that their entire goal was to make it about Ray and maybe coming back and battling that adversity from yeah, the Super Bowl the yeah, prior year. Which where, I was shocked that they brought that up. In well, the they talked about They harped on it so much, and how could you not? Yeah, right? I know. I just I thought it would be something because it, it's— When I think Ray Lewis, I think of that. I, I mean, I'm not I even— I too. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a jerk or anything. Yeah. I, I kind of lived out of his prime. I, was he on the 2013 Baltimore Ravens team? Yeah. He was, but yeah. he didn't play that no. big of a role. But no. So that's kind of what I think of when I hear Ray Lewis. Two-time Super Bowl champion, right. one-time— Super Bowl MVP and he's known but it's I think it's pretty infamous enough to where you it would make sense for him to be known by that mm-hmm. um, when I, think I, think, I just watch too much Family Guy and I like hear those yeah, yeah. true <laughs> when, I, when I think of Ray Lewis I see him in the 52 and I think of the story he tells where he do you know why he wears 52 I do not so he wears 52 because um, his mom was uh, domestically abused as a child and he had to see that as his stepfather kind of the abuse his mom took so whenever you'd have anger toward his stepfather he didn't want to take it out in a violent way so he would go into his garage and then take a deck of cards flip them over whatever number it was that many push-ups flip over another card however many that was do a push-up and he'd go through the entire deck and there's 52 cards in a deck that's why he wears 52 that's i mean chris that's just amazing i know that was but that is that was his that was his training plan it really it speaks a lot to how he is as a player and as how he is as a person kind of channeling that violent energy that kind of seeps out of him as he walks down the street and kind of channeling into something more healthy um i kind of i think that's and absolutely just kind of the image of his career and kind of what he made all his millions of dollars doing. Uh, obviously, Dave is not the only one with Class Day. Me and you were also kind of on a tight schedule here on this first episode. So we'll go into our grading systems here. Um, I'll go first here for my grading system. So if we're going to go under A, the setting in which you watch the film, uh, I was cozied up in my bed. So I think that's around a nine for me. So if I, in perspective, that's one thing that's kind of underrated when you're watching a film and kind of how you take it in is kind of the environment you're in. I think it can really affect you. So that's why it's my first thing on the grading system because I think it really it gets underplayed how important the setting in which you watch the film is. Um, and then I go down one more to uh, how important it is to the culture of sports. You know, I think this immortalizes a team and really puts a team puts a team in a place where they can be viewed and kind of loved by generations to come. So I think it's extremely important for sports sports culture, especially football culture and especially Raven culture. So I think that's around mm-hmm. a seven and a half for sure. I think Dave was a little too uh, he was a little too uh, pessimistic on that one. And we got to have a harsh guy on the show. Of course, gotta of course. Got to level us out. Dave's, Dave's definitely that guy. We're I happy think. guys. So. Yeah, we're happy yeah. guys, and we need someone to kind of bring us down to earth a little bit and uh, kind of tell the truth a little bit when we, we may be sugarcoating it mm-hmm. just a tad. Uh, how technically well it's made, I do tend to agree with Dave. It felt messy. It felt a little confusing. Um, I would give it a five because I think it did enough positives and, to kind of weigh out the negatives there. Um, and then kind of going down there, how technically well, it, as technically well it's made, down to boring to exciting spectrum uh, i think this thing's exciting it just feels massive mm-hmm. it just the the size of this of this uh film uh doc whatever you want to call it just seems so massive and it was exciting 
all the way through. So I think eight and a half is definitely respectable, maybe even a little low for me there. And then does it slap? My favorite. Does it slap? <laughs> I think this thing does slap. I don't think it slaps as hard as I maybe thought in the first 15 minutes in Mike because it was, it was injured toward a 10 there. I mean, that energy they brought in that first 10 minutes mm-hmm. and kind of everything that was encapsulated in that first 10 minutes was absolutely unreal. But I think throughout it, you know, the problems we talked about as it kind of went along there, I think it kind of falls down to an 8, but that's a respectable 5 ratings for me. And uh, I'll kick it off to you. So, hey, the setting of which you watched the film. The setting in which I watched the film um – was very busy last night, came home, watched about half of it, fell asleep, woke up from my internship this morning, 7.30 to 3, on the Ram Van home. I um, watched the rest of it. So the setting, I'd probably say a 2. Nonetheless, that has no effect on how well I thought that the uh, the the product was placed. So Absolutely. I'll go with 2, but that's just in my, you know. I can't As I said, it's good to isolate that. It's mm-hmm. good to isolate the right. setting you're watching it in, not letting it really affect the art. Um, yeah. How important is it to the culture of sports, B? I think that it's, I think I'll give that an eight, eight and a half, because I think it shows that we see all these teams in the NFL, strong offense, you know, not too many people talk about strong defenses, and the fact that this team allowed 10.3 points per game and ended up winning a Super Bowl with a quarterback who got cut the next year, who they thought was not suitable at all to continue this after winning, I mean, it's just, it shows how strong defense is in this league, especially back then. Now it's more of an offensive-dominated league for some teams. Yeah. For most teams, excuse yeah. me. But I think that this – and the cultural significance. Is, is that the same question kind of? Or? It, it's it's, it's, it's kind of – it skates around the same way. And I would like to dive just a little bit into Trent Dofer there because mm-hmm. yep. it's interesting. Whenever I think of quarterbacks that go to the Super Bowl with teams that are really good and they don't really match that talent – Trent Dilfer is always the first one that goes into my head. Yeah. Seemed like the guy that kind of what teams are doing now in the NFL, kind of a trend that's kind of plaguing the NFL now where it's you build around the QB and then you put a guy in there who isn't a superstar, but a guy that's capable enough to kind of have that offense that you built around them reach their full capability. A guy like Brock Purdy, very similar to Dilfer in my opinion, right. just, on a, just on a career level. Just not messing up. Yeah, exactly. Not messing up and kind of, yeah, yeah, just not, just being, just not being negative, kind of just being neutral. Mm-hmm. Like, mid in a good way exactly. kind of how I describe it so yeah Dilfer another very interesting character and his leadership is just so underrated mm-hmm. the way he kind of came in you know obviously it was hard the coach obviously knew the magnitude of taking out the starting QB knew what that would do to his career maybe he wouldn't play another NFL game again yeah. but he had to do what he had to do um, he had to do what he had to do and from the coach just throughout the entire show it was very obvious that he was the captain of that ship and they all respected him they were annoyed by him they all played kind of had a camaraderie just from their hate from their head coach but mm-hmm. also which, they just, is, which unites yeah but also he just he get them fired up he yeah, get them so fired up he get them so fired up but uh he seemed no. like such a, a teddy bear and then you got yes. into like oh what what do you think about coach and then they're like oh arrogant all this stuff and it was like oh okay i did not expect that tell me like yeah that was, that was awesome how they set that up he seemed yeah. like such a sweet dude and then it's like no, actually, he plays hardball. Yeah, you, you're so mean to your, your players that they almost bond in the fact that they all hate you. It's a Larry Brown tactic on those old Pacer teams in right, the 90s. Right, um, right. But anyway, so yeah, so past that, we're going to go to number three. That's where you were kind of like inching toward how technically well it was made. How technically well it was made. Um, I think that it was it was made pretty well. I, I'd, I'd give it like a seven and a half. Yeah, we kind of have to. We kind of have to. We kind of have to listen to David there. We kind of got to take some of his input. Yeah. Kind of let that uh, simmer into I, our. I, own. I, I'm going to give the director the benefit of the, of the doubt with 
you know, the monkey wrench, like I said before, for lack of a better term, with Saragusa passing away and everything course, and having yeah. to completely center your focus on something more somber instead of, you know, this team, nobody knew that they'd win. They go and win the Super Bowl. Um, you know, that kind of gets played down. That gets played down a ton. Yeah, so and he's it's difficult. He, he has that similar vibe of a lot of these bigger players that play in sports that are so loved from the entire league that pass away young and it's just devastating right. to everyone around them. Guys like Tony Gwynn, people like that, that were kind of like big teddy bears. You know, a guy like a lot of guys throughout history, but those big teddy bears are really what become lovable in sports. And mm-hmm. Saragusa was the a bit epitome of that, especially at that time. And I had no idea who that was, to be honest. I'm not a big. Right. You know, I, I didn't know that much. And I, I didn't, didn't know, know that game. they played the Giants in the Super Bowl. Like, I that that era, besides Kurt Warner, um, that story, which I kind of got attached by, I wrote an article in the Ram for him. Right. After that, it's just like, I have no idea what really went on until uh, Kurt Warner came back and lost to the Steelers. It's like, that entire period of the NFL for me, personally, I really didn't know about and I'm so happy that that came out and I got to see the the historical significance of Baltimore and also one thing let me mind you just one second the the fact that this team had never made the playoffs um as the Baltimore Ravens franchise yeah and they went into the season eight and eight which was a huge huge thing and then end up going 12 and four it's and then winning the Super Bowl is just like Wow, I see so many people, even from New York, growing up as a kid, that are like, "Oh, I'm a I'm a Ravens fan. Yeah. Why are you a Ravens fan? I don't know. They're cool. Oh, nobody thought that before they went to the Super Bowl that year. And like, it's like I'm a Seahawks fan. Very right. similar. Exactly. It's the exact I agree. Same. Yeah. yeah. I, I, when you when you say that, I do think the Ravens are a lot more national as a brand and as a team than and they should. They're hard nosed defensive type always. Fo- running the ball and and they established that like, always that team set the precedent for what they really have been yeah and then where you were in the Saragusa when you were talking about earlier kind of lends to what we were talking about earlier as well how Ray Lewis we almost knew him more from the trial than we did as a player right and the larger bigger personalities on this team I could say that for all of them mm-hmm. um, I'm a big LeBron fan so Uncle Shea is a saint in my head right Shannon it's Sharp. so interesting seeing Shannon Sharp as a player like you all of fit like top five t- tight end, top five player at his position in the history of the game easily okay unbelievable that he has that unbelievable that a guy like and this is another reason why people get riled up by skip bayless so much is when he kind of denounces shannon it's like whoa this guy was the best tight end in football for a long time like i wouldn't you know that's kind of the tactic skip you know takes when they argue but nonetheless i'm not gonna go on a skip bayless uh, rant but (laughs) those three big personalities on this raven team almost from our generation they're known for more off the field stuff than on it including sarah goose i knew him as kind of a personality and just like a figure in sports not necessarily the absolute monster of a tackle that he was Mm -hmm. um but yeah we're kind of running low on time here i feel like we kind of ran through that in a decent amount we got one two more for you here uh boring to exciting spectrum i thought it was very exciting i'd give it a i'd give it a seven i I thought it was very exciting but then also you got to take the good with the bad and it's just the the somber attitude like i explained before kind of took it from probably what i would have said a nine if they didn't base the entire bookends of the entire film about it right um so i'd probably have to say seven without that i'd say nine it was so exciting it was awesome to see a team that like I said before, just didn't score that much and just killed people on the defensive end. Yeah, I think Dave made a fantastic point earlier talking about how they should have announced the passing of Saragusa at the, at end. the end. And I feel like I've almost seen that used in documentaries a lot. Where exactly. it'll, one of the talking heads in the doc will also be a guy that's no longer alive, and they'll mm-hmm. say it at the end. I do feel like they did that in sh- Survive in Advance, I believe. I do feel like showing that kind of at the beginning really just kills it makes it a somber ambiance as we talked earlier mm-hmm. um but anyway we're gonna move on there does it slap spectrum yeah i give it like a seven seven it slapped 
slack. It wasn't the best 30 th- for 30 I've ever seen, but it's not the worst. And I do feel like our personal biases get in the way. I don't think either of us are crazy football guys. I'm, yeah, I'm a basketball guy yeah. through and through. And that's why bad boys, survive in advance, um, winning time are my favorite 30 for 30s. And I would, I would, I guess the U was the U, U is U part two. Is U part two. Just, it's more about like just crazy people. I like, agree. Yeah, it's yeah, less yeah. about like football and like strategy and like having a great defense. It's like these guys were animals yeah. and they went out and kicked the explicitive out of every team. It they doesn't even it feel awesome. like a football. It doesn't even feel. Yeah. Like, it just it's feels, a party. Yeah, it's a party. It is. It's just a. It's a documentary about a friend group that lived in Coral Gables for yeah. four years <laughs> and they happen to play the sport where you yeah, hit people. They won national championships. Yeah. Probably the greatest college football team ever in two thousand one. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, yeah, I kind of agree that maybe the football focus in this one might have drawn our attention a little away from it just on personal bias of us right. kind of being more basketball right. guys um but anyway yes yeah, so a seven seven and seven and a half in the back three for you there a little, little cynical from you not necessarily uh what not on brand for you i feel like Do you, is there a reason for that no i, I think it, i think i've said it um just it, it was it was difficult to begin it with the passing of saragusa and end it because you kind of felt sad coming out of it right. instead of happy that it happened it's crazy how important that is to how we feel about it toward yeah the end. um but anyway uh that was your five uh, we're obviously going to average everything out put, throw it on the scoreboard we'll announce it uh first thing uh next week but we're going to move on to our last segment here and uh it's called would they ball so basically this segment's going to be take an actor that you think could play in a professional sport can be ironic or not what sport team position and level of success would they have in that sport situation so uh since i'll start it off here i'll say julian edelman mark Wahlberg, just switch them they're the same guy Interesting. they're the same person just switch them huh i could see, you couldn't see mark Wahlberg in the slot catching no i could those high well, passes i'm just thinking of invincible he played you ever see that movie? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's that that lended into it, even though that is Philadelphia, kind of the opposite of where we're running there. But that is a good point. I, I guess kind of subconsciously, I think maybe that was in my head. Hmm. Yeah, you might be right. Um, I guess I'll go. I see. Um, I could see Michael B. Jordan playing Isaiah Thomas. Which one? The 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 old one. The old one. The old one. What's Explain. So, <laughs> it's a little difficult to say. That's got to be explained. The, sh- the short, you know, guy with haircut, and that, and Michael B. Jordan can play that kind of tough guy role. That's a somber, nice tough guy. That's pretty boy a little bit, and you know, finesse and likes to play the game of bittersweetness. You know, but also, he'll he's not afraid to throw an elbow in your face and bittersweetness. Bitter, yeah, bittersweetness. I like that. I like you. Michael B. Jordan could convey that emotion. That's a really good call from you. I want to thank you all for listening. This has been an absolute dream here. You know, WFUV as a radio station has given me the most creative freedom I've ever had in my life, and uh, I've done nothing but enjoy it as I've been here so far. As I said before, one of the major blessings I have, kind of in my life and specifically here is that I surround myself with people that really believe in the vision that we have and the vision that I want to push and uh, guys like Andrew Canary who's back there I'd like to thank him he's going to be with us all year here and then Will Grant obviously my uh, B host here is fantastic catch us on storm the court as well uh, and then David Tominelli obviously who's not here anymore uh, thank to those three guys um, just overall just thank you to everyone at the radio station uh, Bobby obviously the boss uh, just everybody who's really helped us out here uh, and made this what it what it can be. Greg Ware also for giving us the spot. And uh, yeah, thank you to the whole radio station. And uh, we'll catch you next time. God bless.